uh, a great opportunity, and yet it's a very humbling opportunity because we're sinful, and we are sinners, and all, every single one of us is. Uh, just because you stand up front doesn't mean that you don't deal with sin in your life. And, and uh, for God to use sinful man, and He does use sinful men and women uh, in many ways to further His kingdom is just an amazing uh, an amazing truth and one that, that I just thank God for. Um, my prayer is that, God, you would use me uh, as undeserving as I am to stand up here uh, for your glory this morning. We're going to be in Philippians. We're going to be in chapter 1. So if you want to flip over there, uh, we're going to pick up kind of where Mr. Woods left off, not kind of where Mr. Woods left off. So we're going to be dealing with chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. And uh, we're going to title this, or I'm going to title this today, The Focus of Life. The Focus of Life. And uh, let's read the scripture first of all this morning together. In honor of God's word, I'm going to have you actually stand, if you would. Um, just think it's appropriate for us in these times to give God even recognition here. So hear the word of the Lord. This is Paul speaking. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I shall not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ shall even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. And convinced of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Let's start with a word of prayer. Fathers, we come before you and look into the words of Paul this morning, look into the heart of a man that is committed to you and to your son. My prayer is that you would help our ears to open, that we would not only listen, but that we would hear, that we would take the truths that Paul writes about here, and that we would apply them into our life. Father, hide your word in our heart that we would not sin against you, that it would spur us on to be used by you in amazing and God-glorifying ways. I'm thankful for each person that is here this morning. I pray, Lord, that you uh, would use my words, that you would protect my words, 
and uh, speak only through me what you had once spoken. Um, we just praise you, we worship you this morning, and we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 26, what you really see is a heart of a man, Paul, that's committed and concerned, but also excited about the sharing of the good news of the gospel with other people. And the expansion of the good news throughout uh, the area that he would have been in, probably in Rome, in prison at this time. He is in prison, they, most people would say in Rome, um, that there's an expansion of the gospel that it continues to, to uh, be proclaimed in people. As we get started today, I think it's really important to go back and to look at something and, and to understand something. In Philippians chapter 3, not to steal anybody's thunder, but in chapter 3, Paul says this. He says, follow my example. And if you really deal with uh, just a, a basic truth that is so important to understand about Paul and other men and women in the Bible is this. We know that God wrote the Bible. So God wrote through Paul the words that Paul wrote in Philippians. So Paul, when he says, follow my example, is not being arrogant and saying, you know, hey, look at me, look how great I am and, and, and follow after me because I really have it figured out. God is saying, follow Paul's example. As well as other pastors and elders and teachers' examples, uh, godly pastors and godly teachers, uh, those types of people, follow their example. And the reason why God writes this and that, that he says, follow Paul's example, is because God knows Paul is not perfect. He's sinful. Just like all the pastors in the world have sin in their lives, and everybody else has sinfulness in their life. But he's saying, you know what? This is a guy that is striving for godliness. He is setting a good example as far as what this needs to look like in a fallen world. Now, we understand that our example that we, we truly want to follow is Christ, but there's no way that we can understand the perfection of Jesus Christ. We're not perfect. We're not even close. And so God in His goodness says, you know what, I understand you can't meet the standards of Christ, although that's what you're striving for, sanctification, becoming Christ-like. But what you need to do is you need to follow examples of people that are living godly ways. Understanding they're not perfect. They're sinners, just like you. But they're striving for godliness. Follow that example. Follow the good things. And so we see here that Paul is an example for us that we can read about. And he is an example that we do need to follow and uh, learn from as we look into these words here. So Paul is sitting in prison. He's giving a report to the Christians in Philippi about what's happening where he's at. And this is what we see in the verse is, uh, 12 through 20, really, is he's kind of given this report that, hey, I'm in Rome, and the, the gospel message, the message of Jesus Christ, is still being proclaimed. He was not focused upon himself. He's not, oh, poor me, come and get me, help me get out of this situation. But what he was focused on is the spread of the gospel. That was his focus in life. And that needs to be our focus in life as well. So if you look at verse 12, now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. What we see here is God is continuing to work even in Paul as he's in jail. He is not out of the will of God the will of God, okay? 
um, some people, some false people would say or prophets would claim that, you know what, well, Paul's in jail for some reason and therefore he's not really doing what God wants him to do. He's there because he was doing what God wanted him to do. And he was facing persecution because of that. Usually you think somebody gets arrested and because of that, you kind of maybe back up and say, I got to be more careful about what I'm doing. You know, I'm, I'm preaching the gospel, but man, Paul got arrested. So maybe I better back up and not say the same things because I don't want to be there myself. And yet what you see here is there's a greater progress of the gospel. There's a furtherance here that the gospel is still being proclaimed and being proclaimed even more with Paul being in jail. It's kind of the exact opposite. And I think that's a, a lesson for us as we look at this. Uh, one of the things that maybe you've heard before is grow where you're planted, meaning serve God where you are. And Paul is in prison. That doesn't stop him from serving the Lord. It doesn't stop him from being effectively used by God. He's being faithful to the word of the Lord. He's being faithful in proclaiming the gospel, and God is still using him. And he's using him also to encourage other people. Uh, we can see some of that uh, as it goes on here in like verse 14. In verse 13, if you look, he says, So my imprisonment and the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard. Uh, this would be the, the guards that were guarding Paul. Uh, there are some thoughts that maybe Paul was chained to one of them always, constantly, in his arrest, in his imprisonment. Um, but if not, at least they were in the house and, and guarding the house. They just didn't let Paul do whatever they wanted or he wanted to do. But here's the cool thing, and here's the important thing. People that were interacting with Paul, even when he's in jail, they're seeing his actions. They're hearing his words of truth, of hope, of life, of salvation. And so even though he is in jail it has an effect on the people around him. Including even some of the guards are becoming Christians because they're next to Paul. And Paul is being faithful to the word. Paul was really effective wherever God placed him. The reason why he's effective, you know, you maybe look at it sometimes like, man, I wish I could be like Paul, but there's no way I can be like Paul. You know what? You can be like Paul in your faithfulness. Be faithful to the word. Be faithful to present the gospel and not kind of shirk your duties. Paul was faithful. He had a passion. And it was a God-given passion uh, to preach the word. Well, in verse 14, we see results for the Christians outside the prison that there is a furtherance of the word of God, uh, that Christians have greater confidence and boldness to preach the gospel. You know what? If Paul can be imprisoned and he's, he's still, God's using him, then you know what? I'm willing to do that as well. I'm going to preach the gospel, and I'm going to uh, be faithful to that. So it helped them to conquer their fear of being in prison. Oh, I see what Paul's happening, you know, and if I need to go there, then I'm willing to go there as well. You come to verses 15 through 17, and, and Paul starts talking about there's two types of people that are preaching the gospel in this time around Rome, all right? Uh, two types of preachers. The first one was those with sinful motives. And he goes through in verses 15 through 17, and he talks about these people, that they are preaching the gospel out of envy. They're preaching it out of strife. Envy is a jealousy of Paul's ministry. And so what they're doing is, you see, Paul was a, an accomplished apostle. He was a guy that got results. 
Now, got to be careful there. It was not Paul getting the results. He's not winning people for Christ. It's the Holy Spirit working through Paul's works to win people for Christ and to change their hearts. But Paul was effective. He was an effective minister. These people are jealous of that. It also says that they had uh, they preached from strife, which is a rivalry. Um, there's a conflict that they have, these other people have against Paul. It's kind of like, oh, look what Paul's got for his ministry. I want that. I want to be greater than him. I want to compete against Paul and make my ministry greater than his. Okay? Um, that's a very common thing. If you ever get into pastoral ministry, it's easy to fall into that. That, you know, why is their ministry successful and mine's not? I want to be successful and I'm competing against uh, other, other places, other ministries, and that's not a right thing uh, to do. And yet, that's a very human nature thing that happens sometimes. With this rivalry, they probably actually were glad that Paul was in prison. A deep down kind of sinful satisfaction that, <laughs> yeah, he got what he deserved. He, he shouldn't be out. He shouldn't be preaching because my ministry should be the one that's, that's going to be more successful. Paul also talks about them that they have a selfish ambition. They weren't concerned about Christ and the things of Christ. What they're concerned about is pumping and building themselves up. So they would have seen Paul being arrested as a good thing, a chance for them to become more popular, to kind of fill the void since Paul's not around. They probably even talked against Paul. Well, well that would have happened to Paul if he was, if God, you know, God must have punished him for doing something sinful. And so there was this kind of idea that, you know, maybe Paul did something wrong. Uh, there's probably a sense of pleasure in this predicament that Paul is in. And they're really hoping uh, that, that because of Paul's imprisonment, it's going to harm his ministry. There's competitiveness there. There's a selfish ambition. And you know what the interesting thing is, is this. Paul could care less about what they thought. You have a ministry? Great. Have your ministry. Preach Christ. Preach it well. Preach it truthfully. But preach it. He wasn't caught up in all of this kind of sinful garbage that was going on with a lot of these other people. That was one type of a pastor that was going through this, this time here. They were just kind of doing it not for the proper motive, but for themselves. Paul also talks about in there about the, those with pure motives. There were people that loved Paul, that recognized him being the apostle of God, and uh, they preached it out of goodwill and out of love. Not only love for Christ and love for God, but love for Paul and what Paul is about. They understood and supported Paul through this time. So verse 18 comes along, and this is kind of interesting. Uh, pretty much what Paul says is this. So people preach the gospel, or this is a summary of this, people preach the gospel more energetically motivated by Paul's imprisonment. Some were motivated in a good way, some were motivated in a bad way, yet nonetheless they were motivated to have Christ proclaimed. And that's all that Paul cared about. And it says there that he rejoices in that. I don't care why they're doing it. I care that Christ is being proclaimed. Uh, Mr. Woods was talking to me last week, and uh, he was telling me a story that he apparently met Ray Comfort. Uh, Ray Comfort is an evangelist uh, about out in California a lot of times, but uh, what Ray will do is uh, he will... By my spider, um, he'll go out and he'll stand on a box and he'll preach. He'll evangelize, 
And so there was a guy that was giving him a hard time, a guy that would mock and, uh, and kind of, he had a camouflage suit or a camouflage coat, a white beard, but he would mock Ray as he was out there. Am I saying that right? Is it Ray Comfort? That right? Okay. Sometimes I forget things. Okay. Anyway, so he was uh, being mocked by this guy and he kept preaching on the box all the time. And this guy would always come and mock him about, you know, Christ this and Christ that. So one day Ray didn't show up at the box and uh, he was gone for some meeting or something and he went back to the box a couple days later and there was a guy that came up and said, hey, he goes, you know, the guy that you had preaching for, for you while you were gone, uh, I became a Christian because of the message that he was sharing with me. And Ray's like, I didn't have a guy out here. He's like, no, yeah, there was a guy on the box and he was, he was sharing the message, the gospel message with me and, uh, and I became a Christian. And Ray's like, well, what did this guy look like? He said, well, he has a camouflage coat on and he had a white beard. And this guy that had been mocking Ray was actually, in a sense, mocking the gospel. He was standing on the box, mockingly preaching, and yet there was a man that was saved from that. And in a sense, that's kind of the, what Paul is seeing here with these men. They're preaching the gospel. They're not doing it out of good motives. But as long as Christ is being magnified, he doesn't care, and, and we shouldn't care either. Um, we want to preach truthfully. We don't want to have that attitude, but Paul's saying, as long as Christ is being proclaimed, I rejoice in that. So what you see here uh, as we go on in verses 19 through 20 is Paul says, and I find this to be really interesting, he says, this shall turn out for my deliverance. Okay, So whether I'm going to die or whether I'm going to get out of jail, whether I'm going to be vindicated for uh, the, the crime that I was accused of, whatever, um, this is going to turn out for my deliverance, uh, the gospel. And so he recognizes in verse 19 that there is the prayers of the Philippians and the work of the Holy Spirit are both involved in this deliverance that's going to take place. I see that as being a very important lesson for us to look at, and that's this. We need to be in prayer for people that are persecuted as Christians Okay? That's something that as you just look at this, Paul recognizes the importance of prayer. And he's telling the Philippians that, you know what? Your prayers are making a difference in my persecuted life. And he recognizes it's not just, it's not just kind of a, you know, something we do and, and it doesn't mean anything. It does mean something. Today there's persecuted Christians. We know Afghanistan is a, is a hotbed right now. There's other places in the Middle East and other places where, where Christians are being persecuted. And we need to be in prayer for those people as God works and, and uses them for his glory. But what we see here is Paul talks, talks about in verse 20, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that Paul is looking forward to something else. He's excited for the future promises of God. And what he's excited about is this. He says, you know what? Uh, my hope is that I will not be put to shame. What he means by that is that all the efforts that he's placed into spreading the gospel that it will not come to be null and void. Now, he knows deep down it's never going to be null and void because God is the true God, and God is going to bless what Paul did. Um, but he's saying, I, I know it's not going to put me to shame. I know that I'm not going to uh, run this race in vain. I've been truthful to God. God is not going to leave me in a place that's going to leave me in shame. I've exalted him. I've been doing what God wants me to do. And then this last part here, uh, even now as always, I shall be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. There's the focus of Paul. And then the next verse is also the focus of Paul as well. 
But what we see here is with all boldness, I'm going to proclaim Christ. Why? Because Christ needs to be exalted. Christ needs to be exalted. And Paul understood that. We need to understand that as well. Whether I die or whether I live, I'm exalting Christ. And so all these verses from 12 to 20, if you look at it, it's really interesting. Only one of the verses really doesn't have something about the gospel being proclaimed in it as Paul's talking through this, as far as you know that, that the gospel's being proclaimed and those kinds of things. Um, but you see a man here that is totally consumed as he writes this letter about the spread of the gospel. You see his heart is, it's all about Christ. It's all about being Christ proclaimed and, and spreading this gospel. That's his focus. And it's a great example for us of the focus we need to have as well. My focus is Christ being exalted. My focus is not about winning a football game or, or running good in cross country or doing good in, in school. My focus needs to be about this and this alone. And then put and build everything around that. So you come to verse 21. I know I talked about this last year when we were talking through Jonah. Love this verse. I think it's an, a profound verse that we need to hold on to. And I hope that you would really, truly meditate upon this and think through it. Understand the passion of Paul. His focus, verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's a simple statement, but so profound, and it really shows the heart of Paul. If I live, I'm living for Jesus Christ. If I die, you know what? I get to be with Christ. It's a win-win situation. It's a win-win situation. Uh, last year, I read a John MacArthur quote. I'm going to read just a part of it because I think it just helps us to understand the, the, the depths of this statement here. This is what Paul is trying to say. This is John MacArthur saying this, quoting, I'm occupied with Christ. I trust Christ, love Christ, hope in Christ, obey Christ, preach Christ, follow Christ, fellowship with Christ. It's all about Christ. Christ and Christ alone is my inspiration, my direction, my meaning, my purpose. Students, can you say that? Christ alone is my inspiration, my direction, my meaning, my purpose. I am committed, consumed, dominated by Jesus Christ. Life is about serving and obeying Christ. Death is going to go, I'll get to go and be with Christ. I'm focused all about glorifying God. So the question comes down is this, do you have this kind of focus? And we all would have to say sometimes in our life, no. Paul was a special man. He was a very driven man. Um, he's an example for us, but he is an example that we want to say, you know what? I want to be like Paul in the sense of that he, he shows me an example to follow as a human. If you say no to this, then you need to evaluate in yourself why don't you have this type of focus. And this is what I want to kind of deal with a little bit today and, and to think through a little bit with you. How can Paul rejoice while he's in prison? If I went to prison, it would be, poor me, I probably wouldn't be spreading the gospel. Uh, maybe, I don't know, I've never been in prison. Um, you know, there are pre-opportunities. I'm sure I would do it some, but not like Paul, where it's just the focus of him. Um, 
we can, we can say to live as Christ and to die as gain, but does that really, is it really our hearts? So why can Paul say that? Why can he say to live as Christ, to die as gain? And the answer to this question, I think, is found, or at least one place you can go and look at this, is Luke 7. So you can flip over to Luke 7 if you want. You don't have to, but just listen to the, the story of Jesus in Luke 7. The story we're going to look at is the story where Jesus goes to a Pharisee's house. The Pharisee's name is Simon. And Jesus is reclining at the table. So in reclining at a table, you'd lean on your left arm, elbow, and your head would be towards the table, and you would eat that way. Kind of a weird way to eat. But that's how they would eat. Their feet would be away from the table. And uh, as Jesus is at Simon the Pharisee's house, there's a, an immoral woman that comes to uh, pour perfume on Jesus' feet, to wash his feet, to clean him, okay? Clean, clean his feet. Um, the woman would have been a prostitute, is what most Bible scholars would say. And she comes into the Pharisee's house. This would be the people that would look at her with scorn and contempt. And she stands weeping at the feet of Jesus Christ, and her tears wet his feet, and she wipes her tears with her hair. And she then pours perfume on, and she's kissing Jesus' feet as well. Now, you've got to understand, that would be, a, you know, the feet would be very dirty because you'd been walking in the paths, and they didn't have uh, shoes that would be enclosed. Um, it is a very humbling experience, and yet this lady is doing this. If you look on, Simon says, or thinks in his mind, you know, if Jesus knew what this lady was about and who, who, who she really is, if he's a prophet, he would know that. Um, he wouldn't be letting her touch him. And Jesus understands and says, you know what? Uh, he knew Simon's thoughts. And so he gives a story to Simon. I want to just read that if I can get there. So Jesus says, I'm going to pick up in... Uh, Luke chapter 7, verse 40. Jesus says this. Jesus answered Simon and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave both of them. Which of them, therefore, will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And Jesus said to him, you have judged correctly. Okay, so what we see here is Jesus saying you had two guys that owed a debt to a moneylender, and that moneylender gave up or, or canceled out the debt for both of them. He forgave their debt. But the one that owes 500 denarii, uh, which would be a lot of money, is going to love that man more because he had a bigger debt, right? A bigger debt that he had to pay off that now he doesn't have to pay off. And so Jesus uses this example, this parable, to make a point about this woman that is washing his feet with her tears with, and her hair. And he says, Simon, you know what? You never did this for me. You didn't wash my feet when I came in. That's actually a slap in the face. You didn't do anything to treat me as a, a guest of your house, and yet this lady is doing exactly that. And then this is the amazing verse, verse 47. He says this, for this reason I say to you, her sins, this woman that's immoral, that's a prostitute, that would be the scum of the earth, at least considered that in the eyes of many, her sins which are many have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And so what we're dealing with here to understand 
what is Jesus saying in that verse 47? And it's this, and I want you to hear this now, okay? People who understand the depths of their sin and how much debt they owe or that they owed to God, but He forgave them anyway, love and serve God with a greater love and a passion. They obey the Lord in a, in a greater way. They understand the depths of their sin, how unworthy they were to receive the forgiveness that they received from God. And because of that, they respond out of love and out of passion for God to obey Him and love Him more. Okay, now you got to hear the other side. This is Simon, the Pharisee. People who think they don't need much forgiveness. I'm not really that bad. I'm a pretty good person. People who think that they do not need much forgiveness, they think of their sin as really not being that bad, love God very little. They live like it doesn't matter, like He doesn't matter. They live not as obedient. That's the story and that's the lesson that Jesus talks about in Luke 7. Each one of us has to look at, do you see your sin for what it really is? I'll admit, sometimes I don't. And because I don't, I don't live with passion for Christ like I need to. It's easy just to kind of say, you know what? Uh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I believe in God. I believe that He saved me. But I'm not going to do what He wants me to do. I'm not going to have a passion for Him. There's an unconditional forgiveness that has been given to you if you are a believer, if you are a Christian. And love must be the result. The response, the proper response for those that understand the depths of what God has done for them, the depths of your sinfulness, how unworthy you are, should be, God, all I want to do is serve you because of what you've done for me. That's my focus in life. Maybe you haven't understood your debt. That maybe you have forgotten the depths of your sinfulness. How unworthy you are or were to be able to be called a child of God. It's time to remember. See, why did Paul do what he, said, what he did? Why does Paul say what he says? For to me to live as Christ, to die as gain, because he never forgot what God had done for him. If you go to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 6, 16, 12 through 16, listen to Paul, and you see the heart of a man that understands the depths of his sin. He says this, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me, because he has considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was previously a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent aggressor. Remember, Paul at one time killed Christians. He had them arrested. He enjoyed doing that. He thought he was doing what was right, and he was good at it. He had a passion to get rid of Christianity at one point until God took him and turned him around. And if you look back there in verse 12, what's he saying is, that God, thank you that even though I was that way, that I was a scum of the earth, that I was unworthy, you have made me worthy. You didn't hold against me my sinfulness. But you've actually turned me and used me for your good. I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent aggressor, and yet you can renew. And you renewed me and my spirit. You gave me a new heart. 
Thank you for that. Okay, going on. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I'm the foremost. Yet for this reason I found mercy so that in me as the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. We see that example kind of concept again here. Do you see what Paul's saying? I was one of the worst kinds of sinners possible. He considers himself the worst sinner in the world. And yet God can take the worst sinner and renew and restore him to a proper relationship. And because Paul knows who he was at one time, but is no longer that way, because he knows that, now what he wants to do is serve God with all his heart. That's the goal. Romans chapter 7, if you read that, Paul talks about uh, that he's in sinfulness, that he's a wretched man. He understands where he came from. Kids, you need to understand where you come from. Your sinfulness, your sinfulness was deep. Your sinfulness was depraved. Your sinfulness separated you from God. And yet God moved and said, you know what? You're my child. And I'm taking that away when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. But you need to remember what you came from and you need to remember who saved you and you need to remember, you know what? Because you saved me, Lord, all I want to do is serve you. That's the reason why for me to live as Christ and to die as gain because of what you did for me. Paul saw his debt. He was unworthy, but he'd been forgiven. Do you see your debt? A holy God stooped down, condescended to your level, to our level here on this earth. He made a way through His Son, Jesus Christ, to take your sin away. That sin, if it doesn't get taken away, places you into eternal wrath of God and torment in eternity forever. But God can replace that sinfulness, that sinful heart, with righteousness for those that trust in Jesus Christ. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve that. And yet that's what happens because God has called you His child. If you understand the cost of your sin, you will tell others about Jesus Christ because that's the proper response for those who have been forgiven much. And we've all, if you're a Christian, have been forgiven much. If you've been forgiven much, you will love much. I will love God much, and I will do what He is asking me to do. If we finish out real quick here, Philippians verse 22 and then through 26, uh, you see Paul as an example again. He's saying that he's going to go on living, uh, and if he goes on living, because that's you know he's kind of going, am I going to die or am I going to live? Uh, if he's going to do that, he's going to bear fruit. He's going to serve the Lord. Right? Paul gets out of prison. It's not like, well, I've gone out of prison, so now I'm going to take a vacation because I deserve it. It's I'm back to serving the Lord because he understands of a person that has been forgiven much, much is expected. In verses 23 through 26, he says that he would like to go to be with Christ in heaven, but he believes that God still wants him to stay and encourage Christians as he continues to start and plant churches. Paul was telling other people about Jesus Christ, and that was his goal in life. That was his focus. Here's the question for you. What about you? What about you? I want you real quick here to evaluate yourself. Okay, in your lifetime, this is going to be, uh, I'm going to be a pretty, pretty, uh, 
uh, specific group of people that I'm going to talk about. In your lifetime, how many times have you talked to people outside of your family, outside of your church, outside of your youth group, outside of this school about Jesus Christ and the gift of eternal life that he can offer? How many times have you reached out to a stranger and shared the gospel message? Zero, one, five, a hundred times? Too many to, to be able to count? That's a question you have to ask. It's an important question to evaluate and look at and deal with in your life. Have I ever really shared Christ with anybody? Besides the ones I'm comfortable with, the ones that you know, are already Christian? Because that's what we're called to be about. People here, brothers, sisters in Christ, that's what we're called to be about. To reach out. How many times have you talked to people in your family, in the church, in the youth group, in the school about Jesus? Do you even do that? Is it just kind of a, a kind of a surfacey kind of talk about the gospel? For those that have been forgiven much, we need to love much. And we have been called by Christ to proclaim the gospel. Christians, we need to step up in faith. So there's an application. just want to give this to you real quick. How do I start to do that? Um, well, let me go back here real quick. Does that concern you? Does that concern you that if you're saying, you know what, I don't do that very often. I don't, maybe I've never done it. I've never spoken to somebody about Jesus Christ that I know needs to be spoken to. Does that concern you? And if it doesn't concern you and you're saying you're a Christian, then I would ask that you would prayerfully go before the Lord and ask him to reveal where your heart is and that you would change your heart. We are commanded by God, go into the world, preach the gospel, make disciples, do it because you love me. Do you want to change that? That's another question to evaluate. Do I, do I want to change this, really? And the third question would be, when will you change it? You've you got to take steps. You can't just sit back and say, you know what, yeah, I want to do that. I've, I've always wanted to do that, and yet I find myself not doing it. How do you start to change? So how do you start reaching out to your friends, to your family, to others who need to hear about Jesus Christ? Let me give you about, real quick here, six just little things to look at. The first one, pray. Ask God for opportunities to witness. He'll give them to you. Then you got to take them. Ask to be courageous. Because you know what? It can be scary to do that. But have the courage to stand up and do what God's asking you to do. Ask God to have soft hearts. Ask God to have people have soft hearts. Number two, think about and prepare conversation starters before you go out. There's some great questions you can ask people that kind of open the door that then you can start to, to share with them different things. You know, if you were to die tonight, what would happen to you? That's a great question to ask. What do you believe about the afterlife? Uh, do you consider yourself a good person? There's doors that can be opened all the time in just very easy, simple sentences. But think through some of those and, and have some prepared that you can use. Understand that some aren't going to like you. That's number three. You're going to be mocked. You're going to be scorned. You're going to be yelled at. I like what Dustin Rogers said last year. Are you ready? To, it's, it's okay to be weird. Are you ready to be weird for Christ? That people are going to look at you and say, you know what, that guy's different. That girl's different. And I'm not sure I like it. And there might be animosity towards you. You see the world and where it's going. They're not, it's not going to be might be. If you're doing it and being faithful, there will be persecution that will take place. Number four, just go do it. 
Okay, I think sometimes it's like, well, we got to get prepared and I better, you know, I really got to do all these things. Pray, be prayerfully considering things, but go do it. Quit talking the good game and, and go do this. Uh, I love what Jesus says in Matthew 28. Remember that God is with you. I'm, lo, I'm with you always, right? He just got done saying, go out and make disciples. I'm with you as you go to do that. So understand that. So go and do it. Number five, you can look at this. You need to remember God is the one who has to change the heart. You can go out and you can preach the best message in the world and the most logical and, and sound theological message in the world, but if God doesn't change the heart, it's not going to matter. It's not up to you to change a heart. It's up to you to be faithful, to be a willing tool used by God. That's something else you can do. Go with other people. You know, go with somebody else. Go together. That's always a good thing. It, it helps you to have more confidence and, and you can share things. And it's okay to do that kind of stuff. Okay, so those are things that you can think through. Um, I'm going to just go ahead and close up here. I just go back to Luke chapter 7, verse 47. Her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. He who has been forgiven much needs to love much. If you are not loving much, it's because you don't understand your sinfulness. And I would encourage you and I prayerfully consider, God, help me to understand. Not, not, not that you have to beat yourself up. As Christians, you're already saved, right? But to understand where you came from and what you need to be now. So uh, we might, I don't know, we can do e-groups. We're going to do them really fast. So, but here's two questions you can think of as far as e-groups go. Oh, we don't even have e-groups out yet, do we? You don't even know who you're in e-groups? Okay, we won't do e-groups. We'll have to wait. But here's a couple questions I'll, I'll leave with you to kind of think through. First one, number one. When you understand how much you have been forgiven, if you are a believer, how should that affect talking to others about Christ? How should that affect you about talking to others? Second question that you can evaluate. What steps are you willing to take to start to proclaim Christ more? You know, Mr. Woods talked last week, time is short. There's a battle going on in this world already, and you're kind of in a bubble, a safe little bubble right now. But, but there's a battle that's taking place. We need Christians to step up. You need to step up. I need to step up and proclaim Christ. It is what we have for our focus of life. It's what Paul had. It's what we need to have as well. It's what God wants us to have, okay? What steps are you willing to take? Start small if you need to. Do something, but do it. May we be people that have a passion for the gospel. May we be people that have a love for other people and a love for the Lord. And so I would challenge you with that. I would encourage you in that, okay? Don't stay where you are, but continue to grow and to have that passion to live as Christ, to die as gain. Jesus, I want it to be about you and not about me. I want everything to be focused upon the gospel. May you be blessed. Let's pray. Lord, um, I thank you for the words of Paul. I thank you for the example of Paul. He was a man that uh, had a heart that was committed to you, a focus on the good news that is brought through Jesus Christ. 
God, it's so easy for us to kind of just fall into the rut of Christian faith. Just to kind of live faith and not really obey the Christian faith. To obey You, what You're asking us to be about. God, it's not that we need to go on a crusade as a school necessarily and, and go out and, and go somewhere and just witness as a whole group, but we need to witness individually when we have opportunities. And they are out there. Teach us how to understand the depths of our sinfulness that was forgiven, that we would respond correctly, that we would love much because of what you've done for us, that we would serve you. So Father, uh, may you encourage each one, teach us more your ways, help us to know you more, but may we not sit still and idly by watching this world run faster and faster to the depths and pits of hell. Lord, help us to love people enough to share the faith with them and then allow you to work. Here we are, Lord. Use us for your glory. Just would pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.